you this morning. Thank you for your welcome and hospitality. Um, I'll give you a few more greetings from Church of the Resurrection a little bit later in the service, but I want to dig into this text that we've just heard from Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, would you turn to there? And uh, Aubrey asked that I say a few words about Advent to begin. Let me give you an orientation to Advent before we dig into this text. Um, It is the first Sunday of the Christian year, first Sunday of Advent. It's kind of like New Year's Day for Christians. And um, there are two major seasons in the Christian year, the season of light and the season of life. The season of light begins on this particular Sunday, and it continues for four weeks through the period of Advent. And uh, it's a time when we grieve and mourn the darkness. We, uh, We long for the light. And we wait and watch for the coming of Christ. Um, The great celebration in this season of light is Christmas Day, when we awaken to uh, what what we'll sing about later, the the dawn of salvation in Jesus Christ, Christ's birth. And after after that day of Christmas, the really 12 days of Christmas, we celebrate all the way through the Feast of Epiphany, when... We remember that the wise men came to Jesus, wise Gentiles came to Jesus to worship him. That's the season of light. There's another season that comes later in the Christian year called the season of life. And in the same way, it begins with seven weeks of penitence, of fasting, of preparation. During this time from Ash Wednesday until Good Friday, we mourn our sin. We long for, uh, for Savior. And walking through, ultimately, the passion of Jesus up to his death on the cross for our sins. And then the great celebration of the season of life, of course, is Easter Sunday, when we, we all join together uh, to, to worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And then after that, for a period of seven weeks, we feast and celebrate, ultimately climaxing in Pentecost Sunday, when we remember the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church, and the good news of the gospel going to every tribe, every tongue. These two seasons are quite similar in their, in their uh, flow. And we're just beginning this first season, the season of light. Um, and the, this, this season, Advent, uh, means, the word Advent means coming. And uh, during this time of Advent, we're really preparing. We're really preparing. Preparing, as Aubrey said, not just to meet the baby infant Jesus, but also to meet Jesus when he comes again. Uh, Traditionally, this first Sunday is a time where we look especially at the return of Christ, Uh, but I've chosen a text today from the the infancy of Jesus. We can really look at the coming of Christ in general, both his coming, his first coming, and his coming again. All right, so that's a little orientation to Advent. With that, before we dig into this passage, let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We praise you for the life and the light that it brings to us. We pray that you would open our hearts to receive it, open our minds to understand it, and empower us, Lord, to live it. We ask that your spirit would come in power this morning, that each of us would leave here changed, uh, reoriented to you, renewed in, in you. So work powerfully through this message and this worship. For we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So it's Thanksgiving this past uh, Thursday. Did any of you have guests staying with you over the, over the holiday? Yeah? A few of you. Wow. Not a very hospitable crowd. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, let me tell you what it's like to have guests. We had guests at our house. Uh, we had, my goodness, we had, uh, let's see, seven at the beginning of the week, and then we shifted out one family for another, and we had eight at the end of the week, so a total of 15 others in our little house in D.C. It was quite a crowd in the Claire Mansion in Washington, D.C. Um, whenever we know somebody's coming to see us, we get ready, right? Maybe you do the same thing. And uh, I'm, I'm a lazy slob, and so I gauge how long they're going to stay, and depending upon how long they will stay and how invasive they are in coming into our house, uh, I measure that, that level of invasion and do the, the bare minimum level of preparation for their arrival, right? So uh, if it's a neighbor who's coming over to borrow tools, no preparation at all. If it's someone coming over just to chat, we can prepare our living room. We just tidy it up. We know they won't move past that. If they're coming over for dinner, you know, we clean up the kitchen as well. If they're coming to stay, though, you know, Janina came and lived with us for three months this fall. Janina came to live with us, so we had to clean the entire house. <laughs> so, I don't know if you... Do you do this, too? Do you do this, too? You, you gauge how, uh, how people will be, how, how invasive they will be, and prepare adequately? Um, well... In a similar way, we as Christians need to do a thorough house cleaning in preparation for the coming of Christ. Because Jesus is not coming just to borrow tools. He's not coming just to drop off cookies. Jesus is coming, and we read in the scriptures again and again, Jesus is coming to stay. He's coming to move in. He's coming to stay with us forever. We say, do you guys say this? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again, say it every week. And, and do you really believe that he will come again? And he will come again to stay. That's what this season Advent is about. We believe he's coming to stay. And because of that, we need to get ready. Our spiritual preparation can't be the kind of stuff it all under the bed uh, at the last minute. But it needs to be thorough. I can remember... As a kid, the agony of having to clean my room. Um, but then there were sometimes there were special guests who would come to visit, and those special guests were were worthy of hard work of preparation. When my grandmother was coming for a visit, suddenly I found great motivation to prepare to clean my room uh, for her to come, because I love she was she was the tops, you know. And if she was coming to visit. No problem. Um, my kids are the same way. We have this dinner at our house once a month, the newcomer's dinner when uh, people from the church, new, new visitors to the church come to eat at our home. And they are so excited about this. Most weekends on a Saturday morning, you know, the first question I hear from my kids is, is tonight a newcomer's dinner? Because if it's a newcomer's dinner, the kids are so excited that they're ready to help to get the house ready. If we can have that same kind of joy and excitement and anticipation about the Lord Jesus coming, we find within us a great motivation to prepare for his arrival. 
Um, if we're going to do a thorough spiritual house cleaning in our own lives, it'll have to come by way of true hope, true expectation deep within our hearts that Christ will come again and that Christ will come to stay. If he isn't coming, then there's simply no reason to do any of this stuff. Simply no reason for us to be here for worship. There's no reason for us to uh, do any kind of Advent preparations, right? But if he is coming, and if it's the real Jesus who's coming, this wonderful guest of honor that we've given our lives to in service and discipleship, then we ought to be motivated to prepare for his coming. So, in other words, the Advent season is a season of preparation, but it's not just preparation. It's more than preparation. It's also a season of hope and expectation. And in fact, the hope and expectation of Advent is what ought to drive our preparations. You get that? If, if it's just a season of preparation, it's the doldrums. It's a, it's a very ominous, sad time. But if it's really a time of hope and expectation, I'm motivated to get ready. So, let me ask you, in light of all of this, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for with the return of Christ? If a neighbor's coming over to borrow tools, I'm not motivated to put my house in order. But if the president is coming to live in my house, I'm highly motivated to get ready. What are we waiting for with the return of Christ? What are we waiting for? Let's look at Luke chapter 2, and let's see what Simeon was hoping for. I'm just going to read it again. Not that you did a bad job, Aubrey. I'll, I'll translate for, uh, for the north. Yeah. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem. This is verse 25, right? There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents, that is Jesus' parents, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed him. And we'll we'll look at that blessing in just a moment. Dear old Simeon, we don't learn a lot about Simeon, do we? Uh, there's not much told, told about him. There's a few things, very important things for us to see. First of all, he was righteous and devout. He wasn't a professional religious person. He wasn't a priest. He was just a righteous and devout lay person in the church or in the, in the uh, Jewish religion of the time. A pious elder among the people of God. The Holy Spirit was upon him, we're told by Luke. Hey, you know what? Who else had the Holy Spirit upon her at the beginning of Luke? Do you remember? Mary. And those are the only two people that have the Holy Spirit upon them in Luke's gospel like this. Um, Mary and Simeon are described in this same way. It's a special way of describing extraordinary faithfulness and devotion to God. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that Simeon would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's the ESV translation. That's a good one. That's, that's right. That's what's in the Greek there. He would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. He was a man of vision, and his vision was compelling his, his uh, life. That's what he was living for, was to see the Lord's Christ. 
He was hanging on. The hope of Messiah was what he was living for. Now compare dear old Simeon in chapter 2 to a wee little man that we will meet later on in Luke's gospel. Maybe you'll remember this wee little man. Very different from Simeon. He's neither righteous nor devout. The Holy Spirit is not upon him. Uh, He is not a man of mature standing in the community. In fact, he's small of stature. He's hated by everyone. Do you know who I'm talking about? Zacchaeus, that's right. Compare Zacchaeus, though, to Simeon. What does Zacchaeus want? Zacchaeus climbs that sycamore tree in order to, to see Jesus. To see Jesus. Exactly the same thing. He climbs, he, he abandons his pride and climbs up the tree in order to see Jesus. Or what about the wise men who come in Matthew chapter 2? Um, coming, asking King Herod, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? Why? We want to worship him. They want to see Jesus, right? Or if you, if you read John's gospel, uh, in John's gospel, there are Pharisees who don't understand Jesus. There are disciples who don't understand Jesus. Most everybody doesn't understand Jesus. Nicodemus comes to to him at night. I can't figure you out. Will you help me understand? All through John's gospel until finally in John's gospel in chapter 12, some Gentiles come to Jesus and they say to, who is it, to Philip? Is it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, And they, they say to Philip the disciple, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. And from that point on, the time has come in order for Jesus to go to the cross. We wish to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Now, this is a good desire. This is a holy and righteous passion that each of us should have. We wish to see Jesus. It's a season right now for us, started on uh, Black Friday, right? Or started in the newspapers on Thursday. A a season in which we wish to see all kinds of other things, right? We wish to see all kinds of other things. Aubrey shared with me this uh, Advent devotional from Costco. (laughs) Um, These are the things that many of us wish to see on Christmas, right? Look at all these things. Amazing. Over $1,800 in members-only savings. But Jesus, now here is something truly worth longing for. Wishing to see Jesus. Church of the Incarnation, what do you want for Christmas? A bigger building. (laughs) We wish to see Jesus. This is the Christmas gift really worth longing for. Now, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you want to be single-minded and passionate about seeing Jesus, uh, about watching and waiting for Him, and yet you find yourself kind of going numb. Once again, one more more Christmas season. Or perhaps you're like me and, and you really would like to watch and wait for Jesus, but the lure of this Costco devotional is just so strong that I, I, I want to see Jesus, but I really want to see this plasma TV just a little bit more. You know? Our hearts are prone to wander. What hope is there for us? I want to suggest that we need to be reawakened to the real Jesus. The real Jesus is the one worth seeing, the one worth waiting for.
One reason we go numb, one reason we get so distracted is because we domesticate Jesus. He gets smaller and smaller in our expectations. We shrink him down so that he's a little bit smaller than fill in the blank, whatever it is in the, in the catalog that we might be wanting. Jesus is smaller than that. He's not, he's not as good as that. I always think of Will Ferrell in this movie, which I still haven't seen, the Talladega Nights movie, but I've seen the YouTube clip a thousand times, uh, the tiny baby Jesus prayer, you know, where he says, oh, tiny little, precious little baby Jesus, so small, he's just uh, praying to, he likes the tiny little baby Jesus, that's the one he likes to pray to. Uh, He doesn't like the Jesus in the rest of the Gospels, he likes to pray a tiny little baby Jesus. Um, I I think we allow the world to shrink Jesus down to, to something small and domesticated. What's the big deal about a baby lying in a manger? Poor people have babies in squalid conditions all around the world, right? What's the big deal about this particular baby? Simeon knew what we tend to forget, which is this tiny little baby Jesus is only the beginning of a much greater story, the cosmic transformation of all things. As Aubrey said earlier, making all things new. This tiny little baby Jesus is the seed planted for the kingdom of God when everything will change. So I've neglected one of the most important things that, that Simeon is waiting for that Luke tells us in, in uh, his presentation of him. Verse 25, Simeon, righteous and devout, was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The what? The consolation of Israel. You know, we had another baby this year. Some of you met her earlier this spring. Her name is Eden. And uh, people have come to, to visit our little baby Eden. Um, people have brought us gifts. And they have come and commented on how pretty she is. She has her mother's eyes and features. And she's, she's, uh, she's a beautiful baby. No one who has come has said, this baby is the consolation of America. The consolation of Israel, however, is baby Jesus. Baby Jesus. Simeon isn't watching and waiting only to see a baby in a manger. He's waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled through the coming of the Messiah. God's great promises that began early in Genesis. Remember the promise made to Abraham that through Abraham, uh, Abraham would be blessed and through Abraham, Blessing would come to all the nations of the world, right? And the hope and expectation throughout the Old Testament is that everything that's broken in the world will be put right someday. And yet, throughout the story of the Old Testament, instead of Israel being a light and bringing good news to the world, again and again, Israel is a disappointment and oftentimes a curse and a blight on on the ancient Near East. So Isaiah cries out again and again in his book, as we read this morning in Isaiah chapter 64, please rescue us, Lord. Please come to our aid. Please keep your promises. You are going to keep your promises, aren't you, Lord? God's promises are certain. God never lies. So Simeon then holds baby Jesus and he blesses him. And he says this blessing, verse 29. Lord, now as you've promised, according to your promises, now I can see death. Now I can rest in peace. Why? 
Because verse 30, I have seen your salvation. Verse 31, salvation not just for Israel, not just for Simeon, but for all the nations. Verse 32, a light for the Gentiles and glory for the Jews. That's something worth waiting for. Everything broken in the world is going to be put right. Simeon knew that his nation was supposed to be the new Eden, the paradise, uh, the, the heaven on earth. That, that God had intended, and through his nation, all nations were to be transformed in the, in the world. Uh, but for Simeon, for Zacchaeus, for the Magi, for all the Gentiles, Israel was a place of oppression and hardship rather than a place of blessing. But every person back then and every person now, deep down inside, is longing for this paradise, for this paradise to be uh, fully formed, to be fil- fully formed in us and all around us. We're longing for the good news of the gospel. Not just the pop gospel that we hear in evangelicalism all the time. You know, accept Jesus into your heart and go to heaven when you die. But the gospel that, that Jesus begins his ministry with. Uh, when, he, when he stands up before the synagogue in Nazareth and says, All the broken things in the world are being made right. And today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The blind see. The deaf hear, the lame walk, the captives are set free. A year of jubilee has finally come. The big gospel, right? The Old Testament gospel. The hopes of the world are, are, are focused in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the comfort, the consolation of Israel, of America, of the world. We don't see it yet, do we? The author of Hebrews talks about this tension in chapter 2. He says, At present we don't see everything in subjection to Jesus, but we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Now he's crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering and death he endured so that he might die for everyone by the grace of God. We turn our eyes to Jesus, and in Jesus, we see the whole world being made new. We don't experience heaven on earth completely right now, but we do know the resurrection power of Jesus in our own lives. We know he's changed us, and we see how he's changing the world around us, and that creates hope and expectation in order for us to put our, put our houses in order in anticipation of his coming again. This is the good news that empowers Simeon to watch and wait and hope for Christ to come again and make everything right. And and it empowers us to live like Simeon. So we read in Romans chapter 8 this morning, this promise of future glory. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed in us. Even the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation itself is subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. 
For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, or who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's the spirit of Advent. That's the spirit right there. That's what we come to. We are waiting for Jesus, not just, not just uh, uh, based on an idea, but based on this very experience that we've had of him doing a transformation in our own lives with the expectation that everything around us is going to be put right. So, my friends, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for this Advent? New gadgets? Are we waiting for a baby in a manger? Okay, but we're waiting for so much more, right? We're waiting for the king to come, not for a short visit, but to stay. And the king to come and set the world right once and for all. He's not going to be a milk toast when he comes again. He's going to be a warrior king. He conquered death, he conquered Satan, and he is coming to set everything right. The angels know it. The angels sing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace, goodwill to men. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for this very same thing. Will you pray with me? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We wait for you to come to set the world right, to repair what is broken in our own lives, in our hearts, in our bodies, to repair what is broken in the relationships around us, to repair what is broken in this city, in our nation, and in the world. We long for these things. We put our hope in you. Forgive us for putting our hope in so many foolish things. Help us, Lord, to make right preparations for you to come and stay. Hear our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.